Welcome back, dear listeners, to the next episode of Rim Lore, the lore podcast for all your Warhammer fantasy and Age of Sigmar needs. Hello, everyone. This is Gerald once again, joined by my co-host and mentor, Rayway, having escaped the attempt on our life by the Skaven from our previous episode. How are you hanging in there, Ray? Um, well, I got stabbed by a Warpstone dagger in the back of the neck, but because I refuse to die because I am too stubborn, I am deciding to walk it off. Not this time, Slamesh! You shall not have him! <laughs> yeah, I think um, a god of death might play my soul instead, so uh, figures can't be choosers? Well, let's see here. God of death is uh, Nagash. Oh, yeah, isn't Nagash supposed to be the god of death? So he hates escaping, right? Maybe we can cut a deal with him for a shit ton Maybe. of Warpstone. <laughs> Please take all the Warpstone. Yeah, you can have all of our oh, Warpstone. Wait a minute, I can't touch that shit. <laughs> like, I won't know about Warhammer Fantasy without Rayway here to teach me. <laughs> I'll just be a I'll just be a sad dwarf. A dwarf bard, perhaps. You're the one telling the stories. You're the bard, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so now we are currently just sitting in a tavern licking our wounds, but then that also begs the question of uh what is Warhammer Fantasy? Now that we have you, dear listeners, uh, hooked in with the Skaven. You have no choice but to stay. Well, I'm kind of stuck here with that. you, so. <laughs> <laughs> he made an oath. A blood oath. Somehow <laughs> somehow Ray managed to pull a reverse grudge token on me. <laughs> and only dwarves do that, damn it. <laughs> Regardless, I have you here, so I'm going to talk about Warhammer Fantasy. Okay, so what is Warhammer Fantasy? Um, Warhammer Fantasy is, to put it as like bluntly as possible, it's very much a Lord of the Rings, but a darker inspired version of Lord of the Rings. There's all your con- there's all your traditional trappings of the fantasy universe. There's the elves, the humans, the dwarves, the orcs who are called Greenskins. There's dragons. There's giants. There's demons. There's gods. There's devils. There's all the traditional trappings of a fantasy universe. They're okay. all just slightly twisted in their own way. All right. Um, and that's kind of an interesting point because when you really think about it, I mean, we're both fans of Lord of the Rings here. You, in Lord of the Rings, and maybe less so The Hobbit, but there's some pretty dark and twisted shit going on in there too, if you really think about it. Yes, I agree. Especially what the uh, orcs and the Urukai do to Golem, like there is definitely some pretty decent, decently twisted and dark things. Like to put it another way, it's very much closer to the Silmarillion, where like the Silmarillion is very grand, it's very dark, it's very dreary, it's very almost biblical and po- and post-apocalyptic with like some of the like grander themes that are going on in there. Whereas Lord of the Rings, it set the standard for fantasy, but because it set the standard for fantasy, it's very grounded. Mm-hmm. Like despite the fact that it's about like a dark lord conquering the world, it's very small scale to the types of stuff that can be found in the Cimmerillion, and that's what I would consider Warhammer Fantasy to be akin of. It's very much akin to the Cimmerillion, where it's expansive, it's darker, it's grimmer, it's more introspective in some ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a pretty good leading off point. So to kind of comment off of uh, <clears throat> off of last time, we're going to, just for our dear listeners, we're kind of primarily focused on the lore aspect of Warhammer Fantasy. Maybe a little bit of the hobby and the tabletop, but we don't, I don't really play the tabletop, so I can't really tell you 
figure anything as far as rules or whatnot. But I mean, if any consolation, the tabletop is dead. So I mean, <laughs> that is true. And for those that don't know, uh, Warhammer Fantasy came out and was the late '80s, something like that, like right before, shortly before 40k, and yeah. it got it had gotten the boot in what 2008, 2009, something like that, or a little bit later. It was later than that. It was, it was before Warhammer, like fan. It was before Warhammer, um, forty k, like took off to become like its mod, its like modern equivalent. It was, I believe, roughly around that time where the fantasy kind of came to an end, and they ended basically the entire setting. Okay, so um, we're talking about like the forty k's ninth edition or something like that. Yeah, it was like ninth. Ninth or eighth edition, I believe. I think it might have been like in the middle of seventh edition. If I'm like, is like the furthest back I will am comfortable to go. Okay, yep. And then since then, it had gotten literally gotten the boot, and then rebooted with this with uh, Age of Sigmar, which we'll dive into it a little bit. But like like we said earlier, we're going to primarily focus on Warhammer Fantasy um, because I think like Rayway put it so eloquently in the last video. Like, there's so much. There's a lot of rich lore you can kind of glean from it, and uh, and go from there, really. Yes, and Warhammer Fantasy is a very, it's a very expansive and well built world, but it also has a point where it's great because it's so small. Where despite the size of the world actually being relatively large, the setting is so rich and so full of stories that it just. It seems great, but at the same time, because of the size of the world being limited to only a planet, and it's very limited on a, on a timeline scale, like you can feel every year go by in the world and how every year has a different event that can affect it. It very much creates a world that is very alive, but very, very much, you know parts of it, and you know that you're not going to know all of it. And those parts are going to end eventually, whereas 40K, the science fiction equivalent to Warhammer Fantasy, is so grand in scale that it honestly seems at times that victories and defeats don't matter. Like, as great as some of those stories can be, there because it's spanning an entire galaxy, the death of planets can be chalked down to, like, everyday occurrences. Whereas for Warhammer Fantasy, a city being burned down... It's something we can relate to. It's something we have, have happened in our actual history. We can cite sources. We can talk to people. We know what happens when a city gets seized. What happens when it gets raised to the ground kind of thing. Okay. And and on that timeline thing that you kind of mentioned, it's like with, with 40K, it's like, you know, the big, the, big, the big thing that everyone talks about is the Horus Heresy. And that took place 10,000 years before the current setting, quote unquote, and it just seems like ten thousand years have passed, but really, no, nothing's really going anywhere. Kind of on the same lines of planets get lost and consumed and destroyed, and it's just like no one bats an eye about it. But for something like uh, for something like fantasy, I guess my question for you in that regard is like, how is it as far as like a timeline wise? Because like when you talk about the fall of Kazar, it's like this is so many thousands of years is how does it go through the timeline where stuff is happening, but also stuff is not happening? Like, is it, how stagnant is it compared to 40 K for me? I feel like it's more alive for, for me. It, it generally feels like it's more, it's more alive because every faction 
has their equivalent of the Horus Heresy in terms of events. And because of how these events are timed throughout the timeline, it makes the timeline feel more alive. Like for in 40k, because mo- we mean you both come from 40k. Well, I come from 40 then 40k regardless. Because in 40k, the big events are the Horus Heresy and then modern day 40k. There's nothing in between except the War of the Beast, which is still relatively small in scale, not in terms of like the stuff that happens, but the attention it gets. Like the Horus Heresy is 52 plus books right now. And the counting. Beast, I believe. Yeah, and, and counting. Whereas the War of the Beast is only, I believe, 11 books, which is still a lot of books. But because they fluctuate in quality and like it's mostly quality from what I've heard, mm-hmm. it doesn't get the attention that it should get for such a big event. And because of how. Especially when you compare it to the horse, yeah. Especially when you compare it to like just how vast the Horus Heresy itself is, and then oh, and for all you Xenos lovers, there is the War in Heaven, which takes place millions of years beforehand. But that's there's like, apart from like a few codex entries, there's like zero information about it that yeah we currently know of. Yeah, and like like I said, for the timeline. Because it's very human centered in 40k, you don't get to know about a lot of things. Like, like there's three things I can talk, I can think of on the on the imperial calendar in 40k that I can think of: the Horus Heresy, the War of the Beast, and the Age of Apostasy with Goish Vandire. Those are the three events, and all three of those events happen at the beginning half of the imperial timeline, like the first half of the imperial timeline, and they're spaced out by thousands of years. Each one of these events. It's mm-hmm. such a it, like that wouldn't be so bad if every faction got their own at different points as well, like if every faction had their equivalents of the age of apostasy, the age of strife, the age of all these different events. But because we only have the humans on this timeline, and it's so human focused, we only have this last half. Whereas in Warhammer Fantasy, every faction is much more well developed. Not well developed, actually, correct to say. Every faction gets their own like scale of attention, from what I've understood, that you can get a general idea of the timeline itself. And even for factions like the Orcs in Warhammer Fantasy, who do not get as much love, not they don't really have those big events, because they are such a omnipresent threat across the timeline, like almost every faction fights Orcs, they never feel like, yeah, they might feel like they're not getting big events, but because they're they fought in at every point in time, they feel like they're getting love even if they aren't. And that kind of brings me up to my next point: is just like with forty k orcs, like you can, I mean, yeah, they're basically sci-fi. Yeah, they're fantasy orcs put in sci-fi. But with, I guess, Warhammer Fantasies orcs, how I guess how many different ways can you make the orc race unique? Because I mean, you got them in. Lord of the Rings. You got them in League of Legends. You got them in uh, what was that? Uh, World of Warcraft. Um, you got them. You know, their orcs are pretty much like a staple of the fantasy genre as well. So how? How I guess how would you differentiate Warhammer's orcs from what you would normally see in fantasy, or is it pretty well, much about the same? But you know, um, some it is overall the same to your standard orc except they are noticeably bigger um and if you're familiar with 40k there isn't much more to compare 40k orcs and fantasy orcs are the same for those who are unfamiliar with what fantasy what warhammer 40k orcs are 
they are effectively like a half fungus, half um, alien race that reproduces through spores, which their body naturally sheds. And when they die, they release even more of these spores. And if they're exposed to darkness, they grow and create more orcs. They're basically like a mushroom people race. Um, they radiate a, they radiate like magic out of their body that can warp reality if there's enough of them around. They're a very brute race that's very similar to what you'd see in other races, minus those unique caveats, which is that they radiate magic that can affect the world around them. Ah, uh, so and the spirit they, of the wall. Right. The spirit of the wa. And that they are a fungus race. Those are Oh, and I guess they can make... They basically scale technologically to any race that they fight. Because, like, if they're fighting a race that's really technologically advanced, the orcs will, like, unlock that very same amount of, like, technology to fight them. But if they're fighting people with guns, they'll develop guns. If they're fighting medieval people, they'll lose technology to become medieval. They scale technologically to whoever they fight. Cool. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But overall, every other race is a fairly easy one-to-one of other fantasy races. Like, I would say elves in, in fantasy are more emotional. They're more... They have more emotion to their existence. Their their points of emotion are higher and lower, so their sadness is incredibly is incredibly more depressive than humans. They're more excessive than humans. Their pleasures are greater. Their, their sorrows are higher. Their love is greater. They have more extreme emotions. Whereas dwarves have kind of the opposite. They're very orderly. They're very rigid. They're very sturdy. Every race has is a fairly is I guess every race is slightly more exaggerated than what they would be, and that fits with the setting of Warhammer in general. That everything is pushed slightly more extreme and exaggerated. Ah, uh, but that's the fun of it, right? And that's what we love about it. So grim, dark, and depressing, but that's the charm, especially when everyone is the villain, basically. Yeah. That's something fantasy actually does differently. There are clear good guys and bad... Well, I don't want to say clear good guys and bad guys because <laughs> everyone, is, everyone is the hero of their own story. We can't give GW too much credit, now can we? No. <laughs> no. But hey, villains are cool. I mean, we grew up around the same time with the golden age of the Disney animation. They had kick-ass villains. So what do exactly. you mean? So it's just exactly. like, villains can be cool. <laughs> Yeah, especially in Warhammer where you root for the Germans. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, we're going to be on the fence about that one. <laughs> okay, well, you ask me where you ask me what the Empire of Man is based off of, and then I'll ask you where the Krieg are based off of, and tell me you and I both don't want those factions to win when we see them on the battlefield. <laughs> well, you got me there. <laughs> uh, but speaking of the empire of man would you care to learn about the world itself of warhammer fantasy uh sure i i assume that there's going to be some kind of like a map or something because you know that's like a if, of all the staples in any kind of fantasy there's always some kind of a map involved there is always a map involved a fantasy that doesn't Good. have a map is a incomplete fantasy Exactly, and I am a sucker for some good fantasy maps, so show it to me. Uh, give it to me, give it, give it, give it, give it. I have no idea. I I will gladly find myself very excited when I look at a fantasy map. <laughs> and I've been joking, I will look at the map and I will trace the rivers slowly and uh, seductively. Ah, uh, feel its curves, right? <laughs> to its curves. 
It's glorious, make, glorious. Perms. Make sure your drafting table doesn't rise up with you now. <laughs> I've made no promises. All right. So you ready for this picture of the Warhammer Fantasy World? My body is ready. Oh, yeah. Save your photos. There we go. Hey, save your dwarf jokes for another day. <laughs> They're making me get short with you. Okay, that was actually good. <laughs> You're goddamn right it is. Where the f- oh, hang on. There we go. All right. And I will send it to you right now. Fantastic. All right. I'm sending you a map of the Warhammer Fantasy world. And I want you to look at it. And I want you to tell me what you see. Lay it on me. All right. It is loading now. Well, hurry up. Grease me up, woman. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Wait a second. Okay. Okay. Now first of all, this, map. This, this map looks awesome, but something seems very familiar about it. Yeah. It looks really I can't familiar. quite put my tongue to it. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder what it could be. It looks so familiar, but I can't. Just can't, I can't put quite my little dwarf finger on it. So, would you care to give me a description of this world for our listeners who cannot see what I just sent you? Okay, for our dear listeners, I do apologize. We are not yet on YouTube. Maybe in the future, maybe not. We'll see how the feedback goes. But we are currently looking at the map of the old world. However, it does look suspiciously like the real world with. Uh, Maybe one or two additional continents, but I'm sure Rayway will go into that a little bit later. Definitely will. Okay. So to preface the Warhammer Fantasy World's creation, its name is not actually the Old World. That's actually a misnomer. The Old World is actually a region within the Warhammer World. The Warhammer oh. World is actually only, it actually does not have a name. Like it does, it's not called, a, it, there's no planet name to it. It is simply called the Gnome World. The world that was, or it is sometimes actually called the old world within universe. There are people who do not like. There are people in universe who don't know that the old world is actually a region in on the planet, and they simply assume that the entire planet is called the old world. So to avoid so, yeah, any confusion, kind of creates that misnomer because, like, the whole title is the lands and seas of the old world. So yeah. But I see where you're talking about in this area that looks suspiciously like Europe, and it's called the Old World. Indeed. So you can see why. Because the majority of the, of the setting and the stories take place in, the place looks like Europe, the Old World. In the Both in-universe and out, people assume the entire planet is called the Old World. So to avoid any miscommunication, I will simply call the planet the Known World. Ah, to avoid, all right. Yes. The planet that is the known world is a planet that exists in a solar system of 10 planets with one star, and the known world is simply the fourth in that planet's rotation. We're then getting into a sci-fi like reference of the world, but it's actually quite interesting because, Gerald, you and I, we both know Warhammer 40k, yes? Yes. Okay. Or, you know, in Warhammer 40k, enough. yeah, in Warhammer 40k, I'm sure you're familiar with the race known as the Old Ones, are you not? Yes, they actually have a lot to deal with the War in Heaven that we just mentioned, but that's a 
another lore for another podcast to handle, not us. Exactly. Hashtag go listen to Lorehammer. <laughs> big fans, big fans. Big um, fans. Shout out, shout out to Mark, Eric, and all of them. Exactly. So for those who don't know, the old ones are a race of like lizard people, basically. They're they're almost like humanoid toads. But regardless, they are extremely powerful, like magic users. They're sorcerers who are beyond powerful. And they're also extremely intelligent scientists and engineers to the point that they have actually developed space travel. We're again in a fantasy setting. The concept is that the old ones, they travel not just like across the stars, but through realities itself, through different universes. They're effectively a multiversal race that travels between universes, traveling across the space of those universes to find planets that are suitable, that have like a spark of life. That find something like a miracle about them. And they find these worlds. And what they will do is they will transform those worlds. How they will transform those worlds, I'll get into right away. But the general concept is they will transform these worlds to basically fit a template. A specific template that they're supposed to fit. The map that I just sent Gerald is that template, more or less. Which is interesting when you consider the actual world of Earth, our, our Earth. The, the, the out-of-universe concept is that it's meant to be a play on, it's meant to be a joke, that, like, the two worlds look exactly the same. But mm-hmm. in universe, it's meant to imply that Earth, our, our, in univ- our real Earth, is actually a world that exists somewhere in the multiverse of Warhammer that the Old Ones found and transformed. Ah, didn't know we were gonna get meta, dear listeners, did you? It's very, it's it's a very fun like in and out of universe joke. Okay, well speaking now, of, I think uh, I think it might be it might behoove us to kind of bring up since you're talking about the old ones and templates and everything that there was, I guess, a theory that the fantasy world is connected to for, the 40k universe in some way, shape, or form, especially when you consider the chaos gods are all the same. Uh, among other among other similarities i'll put it like that yeah i don't know if you want to kind of brush over that really quickly or bring it up at a later point maybe in this episode or maybe just some other ep- or maybe uh, another episode altogether but i think i feel like that's a interesting little point to make as as you know since yeah. we're talking about you know different universes and stuff yeah sure so in brief the briefest way to put it is the Warhammer world, the, the known world, is not does not exist within the Warhammer 40k universe. They are very clearly separate, but they are connected by something called the warp. For those who don't know, the warp is basically another dimension. It's like the afterlife. It's a universe that's full of the souls of the dead. And this in in the Warhammer universe, this afterlife exists beyond the material universe. It's like the other universe, the spirit world. Again, it's a world of pure energy. And the concept is that people can travel through this to travel to across space, but they can also travel through dimensions. This is an actual thing that can happen. People can travel through space, time, through dimensions, through different universes, which have the old ones travel. The old ones will travel into a universe through the warp and arrive in another universe within the multiverse. So to put this in like, I guess, different terms, like in Minecraft, if you're trying to go over vast distances, you go through another portal 
walk a few paces there, go through another nether portal back to your your world, quote unquote, and then you've gone, you've traveled like so, like such a vast distance in such a little way just by going through that dimension. Exactly. Now, the thing is that inside the warp, there are four gods, and each one of these four gods has a positive and negative side. There's Korn, who is the aspect of courage and warfare. He's just a god of pure bloodshed and anger and violence. There's Sinesh, who is passion and excess. She's a very emotional god, but she's also very hedonistic and prone to uh, violent, torturous outbursts. You have Korn, who's got, oh, not Korn, you have Nurgle, who's a god of life and death. He embraces plague and pestilence because those are the most easiest things to spread. And he believes that the more of these you have, the more life you have. But he also believes in death. He believes that all things should rot and die eventually. Then you have Zeech, who's the god of magic and trickery. He's all about a mass amount of power, all amount of knowledge, all amount of treachery, all amount of secrecy. He's the most confusing and the most unknowable of the chaos gods. These four gods exist in the war and basically... In Warhammer 40k, they're kind of unknown what they want. Sometimes they want to destroy humanity, sometimes they want to enslave humanity. In Warhammer Fantasy, however, their end goals are very explicit. Or as explicit as it can be. And what's that? Um, so the general concept is the reason why the old ones travel to these worlds is actually to fight the Chaos Gods. So they will travel to a planet... They will transform that planet to fit their template, their means. And each of these worlds is meant to be a war zone, basically. A, a bastion against chaos. Is that basically once the old ones have finished terraforming of that planet, chaos will always invade at a certain point. That it will always just attack. It just becomes, it's just an inevitability. And the idea is that each one of these worlds has to fight chaos eventually because mm -hmm. chaos will attack destroy that world and then they'll and then chaos will fall down and lose power and then as life returns to these new planets they'll rise up and attack it's just a general kind of rising and flowing with the tides okay now taking this back to 40k the for at least from my understanding of chaos and the warp each of these four gods feeds off of a certain type of emotion like what you were just mentioning and so the expression of that particular emotion feeds into a certain chaos god. Now, is that same true for here in fantasy, or uh, a little bit different? Um, I would say it's a little bit. It's a little bit the same. It's not as similar. Whereas in 40k, every single living being just inherently provides power to the chaos gods. In this one's, I want to say it's a bit less. It's not as promised. Not as effective. To provide power to the chaos, like the chaos gods are just always at power. They're always just at strength, but they just get more power with worshippers and not just with just general, just general actions and abilities. Right. So where, um, yeah, so unlike in 40k, where where chaos could arguably defeat it if every single human died, and this one is very much a, it doesn't matter what you do, chaos will always rise up and will always try to destroy the planet. Okay, kind of depressing, really, but. This is Warhammer, oh, yeah, but yeah. as we, as we as we've kind of realized. <laughs> yep. So as the old ones are traveling through the universe, they eventually come to the planet that would become the known world. And the known world, like I said, is the fourth planet in its solar system in a solar system of ten planets. But here's the thing about it: it's a planet that was off its axial tilt. It was a planet that was massive in size. This planet is roughly is roughly two times the size of Earth. Okay, that's big. Yeah, it's a fucking big planet. And this planet, 
Yeah, it's a chunky planet. <laughs> and this planet is twice the size of Earth. Its actual tilt is off. It's too far from its planet, so it's basically always in a perpetual like um, ice age. The con- the planet was basically um, in a perpetual ice age with roaming like supercell storms just traveling around the planet. This planet was a, was what would be considered a death world in 40k, which sounds bad already, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the hey, thing, AKA though. just another Tuesday for your Catachans and your Space Wolves. Yeah, the thing is that on top of all, on top of being an ice age, like being trapped in the ice age and having roving superstorms, that planet also had insane tectonic activity, like earthquakes constantly, and would like split apart into fissures. As well as a bunch of like volcanic activity, so like volcanoes would spontaneously like form and erupt. The planet was like tearing itself apart, while also being like just too hot, too cold, like covered in storms. It was just it was just an elemental hellscape. It sounds like a place where like nothing could survive effectively. I mean, this, this sounds like the this sounds like the land before time meets the rite of spring. <laughs> yeah, except here's the thing though: things did live on this planet. <laughs> Dear because, God. <laughs> yeah. You could imagine that anything that's ha- that lived on this planet had to be the prime of its species. It had to be the apex bird. It had to be the top 1% to survive on this planet. And they were. For example, dragons lived on this planet. Like traditional dragons, well, Chinese dragons, like just roam the skies. Uh, Shagoths. I'm not sure if you are aware of what those things are, but they're Lovecraftian, like. Yeah, they're Lovecraftian creatures, like a mass of tentacles, and they're just fucking massive. And they're like they're about the size of like a large dragon. They drag themselves in the ground. There are massive tentacles of flesh. They're really powerful when it comes to like psychic powers. They're just really just dangerous creatures. Okay, I, I vaguely know of it. I don't know as much Lovecraft as I probably should, but I I, I have a general idea of yeah. a, lot, a lot of a lot of tentacles and just, yeah. There's also krakens that in, that um, envelop like the the un, the the unfrozen seas because there were obviously seas on this planet that were just like deep under the ice. There was krakens. There was actually dinosaurs that roamed the the warm like equator region because that was still kind of somewhat tropical. But again, you have to imagine these dinosaurs as like massive like super dinosaurs. And here's my favorite thing: the only civilized creatures on this planet. We're known as a Sky Titans. Sky so, Titans. Okay. Imagine a a giant, like a it's a large human, but obviously it's slightly like exaggerated proportions in the places. Except these things are the size of like small like mountains. Like they have entire communities that are built on the peaks of mountains with their castles actually forged out of the mountains. That actually sounds pretty badass. Yeah, they are lie. the size. They are they are the size of like Imperial Titans in 40k. Ooh, good size comparison there. Yeah, they're they're an imagine entire race of these things. And they were the only like they were the closely to like civilized species. And they would continuously and the only reason why they were like the dominant species, one of the dominant species was because they could fight and crush almost anything else under under them. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine just like and uh, you got your mountain-sized dragons and stuff, and then you know, that, oh, that, that, that's awesome. They were mountain-sized dragons. I just imagine just something tiny, just trying to pick a fight with these sky titans, and just I just that's just not going to end well for them. Yeah, like they will snap a neck and then eat the things. 
You and I so, would run from a mountain-sized dragon. <laughs> the Sky Titan would see it as its next dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty fucking cool, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's basically what this planet was like. Um, so the old ones, realizing this planet had the spark of life, that it was that it fit their criteria for some reasons, would begin terraforming the planet. Now, do you want to know how they would do that? <laughs> I am curious, actually. Okay, so they couldn't do it their own themselves. They actually created a subspecies, or they brought a subspecies with them called the Slan. These are basically these are basically like old ones, but like diet. They're diet old ones. They're weaker versions of themselves, and every single one of them is also like an incredibly powerful source where they're incredibly intelligent. They're brilliant beyond belief, but the mm-hmm. problem is that they are technically cursed. So every generation of Slan will actually be weaker and less intelligent than the generation that came before it. Okay. Like, now, is this any, in any relation to Slanish, or is it just just pure coincidence that they? It's, it's pure coincidence that their name is similar. Okay. Because I'm also yeah. thinking of Slan from Berserk, and that's uh, that's a whole other not safe for work topic. We're not going to get into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, <laughs> I understand though. No, the slam, they're basically like toad people. They're basically like the prototypical toad people. They're basically Jabba the Hutt family who's familiar with Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and now all of a sudden, imagine is... a bunch of slug people just like, except they're incredibly smart and they're really powerful sorcerers. Hey, but hey, uh, at least in the Star Wars Expanded Universe, there are such things as Jedi Huts. So just. Keep that in the back of your mind. Oh, I know, I know. That's the scary part. <laughs> he said, I don't think uh, he was as powerful as a single slant because they were terrifying. So, yeah, they're out. And by the way, they're biologically immortal, so they don't die of old age. But they can be killed in battle. They can be killed, but and they can be killed, but uh, yeah, they can be killed. And anytime they procreate, um, their the generation that comes after them is um like half as strong and half as intelligent as them, which is still like brainiac levels intelligent. It's just that uh-huh. you don't want to keep the you don't want to keep the line going. I'm sensing this kind of ties into uh, or takes some similar cues to uh, I think it's Greek mythology where of course you got the gods, the Olympians, they mate with humans and they have demigods, which are still you know very long lived, very powerful, but not near the level of perfection as the gods they have children so on and so forth and things just kind of degrade just generation yeah. by generation yeah exactly okay so how the slant and the old ones terraforming the planet is gonna be super fun because remember how i said it was off its axial tilt yes they fixed that <laughs> did they explain how they use their magic to literally fix the rotation of the planet to allow more sun to reach the equator is it any similar way to how the Skaven freaking moved a moon closer and then blew it up? Um, no idea. But given the fact that 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 this planet is twice the size of Earth, and they just fucking like, oh, it's another Tuesday. Rotate it like twenty degrees this way. That's classic that old makes... ones for you. <laughs> yeah, and then um, oh, I forgot they also moved it closer to the sun. Yeah, just just whoop, just little nudge. <laughs> So, on top of turning the planet's axial tilt like 20 degrees, they also moved it like a million feet to the right. <laughs> oh, no, 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 not, not my right. You're right. You're right, you idiot. 
<laughs> Fuck, we made it a perpetual ice age. Son of a bitch. Ah, damn it. Okay, back to square one. All right, find another planet. So, oh, and by the way, the planet was also home to a supercontinent. Like, um, it was just it was just one super massive continent. Yeah, the old ones in Slan just shattered it. I like that like, explanation for how Pangea broke up better. Yeah, it was basically like taking a piece of glass and just hitting it with a hammer. Oh yeah, <laughs> or really, sure or a really nut hungry squirrel, just the right. Thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot. They also made sure to move the continents in those specific patterns and chip away <laughs> landmass like bit by bit. So yeah, they basically just split the landmass in part, like taking a taking a hammer to a piece of glass and just fucking shattering it. And the other ones made sure that um, to make sure to move these continents in that specific, you know, position on the planet. <laughs> so for all of the uh, all of the um, conspiracy theorists out there, the reason why Australia is, exists is because the old ones put it there. <laughs> I can just imagine just like some crazy old one engineer just looking at the looking at those blueprints, just like. Mm-hmm. Something's not uh something's not supposed to be there. Um <laughs> hey, do you know what the island's there, Ted? Oh, I don't know, Ted. What's uh oh that's that's not in the blueprints. Oh, oh well, well shit. Okay, let's just put all the dangerous animals in there. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know why I just gave them Canadian accents. I apologize to all of you Canadian listeners out there. It's okay. In Warhammer Fantasy, Canada's ruled by the dark elves. Oh, your people. <laughs> <laughs> my people <laughs> what do you mean you people <laughs> we got a rigi- really edgy uh, a really edgy maple leaf flag <laughs> it's dark and full of blood <laughs> I'm crying on the inside right now <laughs> <laughs> so um, naturally they, it wasn't just like the world were in, the continent was instantly pushed like that it honestly like took time when I mean it took time, instead of taking millions of years, it probably took like, you know, a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> of course, so, this stuff can't, can't happen instantaneously. Otherwise, that'd just be cheating, right? Yeah, it'll just take a thousand times faster. <laughs> Remember I mentioned all those like terrifying like, apex predators that lived on this planet? Yes. The, dr- the mountain-sized dragons and the sky titans and yeah. glorious. I think they fell when their planet just got fucked up by having its axial tilt turn, move close to the sun, and then the entire landmass being shattered. <laughs> Imagine the Sky Titans weren't having such a good time, but if you got your flying dragons, you'd just be like, okay, whoosh, 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 gonna wait till this stuff settles. Okay, my wings are starting to get tired. Oh, what, what shit? <laughs> Splash! <laughs> um, yeah, mo- not not at all, actually. Um, some died, most just kept going. <laughs> They're so stubborn, they just gave the old ones the middle finger. As the like, continents are con- shifting. <laughs> like, I want you to consider that, okay? Like, imagine the type of shit that lives on this planet, that the planet is suddenly getting warmer, moving, clo- being, moving close to the sun, going through the, like, tectonic shifts of the continent splitting, <laughs> and the planet's axial tilt turning, and they're still alive. <laughs> just imagine, like, Yeti's like just like giant yetis in the mountains just like mm, gosh it's getting hot out here now uh, why am i sweating oh dear lord <laughs> so imagine the last sleep of like bullshit creatures that we're working with on this planet right mm-hmm. not exactly the, the best to sustain life obviously you can't have like life living in a world with sky titans and dragons and bullshit right 
No, not not for the not for the puny little humans in the gothic dark elves. No, no, no. of course <laughs> not. No, you can't have us go through the terrible trauma of living on this hellhole. <laughs> so to deal with this, the slan. Well, it was more the old ones, but the slan did it themselves. They created a number of other subspecies, basically other versions of themselves, to deal with the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so they created first and foremost the Saurus. So the Saurus are how do I put this? Imagine eight foot tall, like human sized like dinosaur hybrids that have like really thick armor, are super fucking strong, are also biologically immortal, so they don't die of old age. Really impressive healing factors, and just an insane, just like a berserker rage. That sounds pretty awesome. Is this yeah, in any way related to cool. these? Uh, to what? To the like a precursor to the lizardman faction, or am I getting ahead of yes. this? Yes, yes, indeed. This is this is this is the lizardman race. The lizardman race basically encompasses all these different subspecies. Ooh, awesome. yes. Um, all and right, Jurassic unlike, Park fans, you you got it here. Here's your dinosaurs. Yep. Um, unlike the slime, however, who actually get weaker with each generation. The source um, basically retain each generation is perfect, meaning that they're still biologically mortal. They're still just as strong. So it's fucking angry. And so it's just (laughs) fucking hard to put down. Don't make a source angry. (laughs) Now, now imagine basically an army of these things just suddenly appearing above like Earth's sky and just being sent loose. Hmm. Fly, my pretties! Fly, fly! <laughs> Effectively, yes. <laughs> These Saurus were meant to be the exterminators. They would travel mm. around the planet and using just superior tactics and just sheer weight of numbers, they would try to kill any of these like apex birds that survived. And their goal was to just kill as much as possible. And mm. the only things that they did not kill were things that were either too strong for them to die that no amount of sources could kill it or mm. they were considered so low on the scale that they weren't considered a threat and all the species that i just mentioned the dragons the shagoths the sky titans the dinosaurs and uh one, one more one one more of them but all these things were considered the bottom scale those are considered the bottom scale of problems yeah, like it, like these things we don't need to deal with. Like, what if if the, if those things are considered bottom tier of this is our problem? What the heck was considered worthy enough for the Saurus to exterminate? No idea. All I, I know mean, is th- that I mean, thanks Sigmar that, that they did. Otherwise, <laughs> one of the things that survived was called a Shagoth Dragon Titan Ogre. It was basically a hybrid of those four things. I don't even want to know how such a thing was made. Oh, and it was about the size of a ma- of a large mountain. Oh dear. <laughs> so think like those big rock mountain trolls from the from the Hobbit movies, just like bam, throwing throwing stones at each other just for funsies. Yeah, except <laughs> it's a dragon, it's an ogre, and it's a shaga, so it has like tentacles and like flesh, like human appendages. And it's also a dragon. 
So Stone Giant meets Smaug meets uh, Cthulhu meets, he said, Ogre, so Shrek. So, okay. Yeah. Not a good time for anyone that has to deal with that. Yeah. So that's what the sources would routinely fight. Or again, if there was the dragon, the Sky Titans, it was like they would still fight them. But it was never it was never take the fight to them. If they fight you first, then kill them. <laughs> but otherwise only go for like the middle, like ninety-eight percent of the creatures on this planet. <laughs> Leave the bottom one percent and we don't even try to fight the top one percent. Okay, now that's just got me wondering. What's the top one percent that they can't fight? Well, that was a shag that was one of them was the Shagoths, was the Shagoth dragon ogre things. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you get a scale of what the like the most powerful things they couldn't kill were. Yikes. Ugh. And that's and yeah. so that's why we actually don't know what they did kill because they're dead and we don't have records of it. They killed everything else. And again, <laughs> this planet you... is twice the size of Earth. So imagine oh. all the fucking space they have to like travel to kill these things. I mean, there's there's like millions upon millions of different species on our planet alone that we don't know of. So yeah, and imagine every single one of those things was an apex predator. That's what Australia is for. Exactly. (laughs) It's it's turning creatures into monsters. (laughs) So that's what the sources were in charge of. Next, we have my favorite one. These ones are the best ones. They're called the skinks. Skinks. Yep. So skinks are almost like geckos, where the sources are like eight feet tall. Um, the skinks are like around three or four feet tall. They're really small, but they're really dexterous with their hands. They're really fast. Like they just they're scurry really fast, and they're mm-hmm. also like more intelligent than, than the sources. Like just where the sources are very brutish, material, uh, militaristic. The skinks are very like um, grand scale, really big thinkers. They're very mm-hmm. smart when it comes to like just. Um, cooperation especially mm-hmm. and they were basically builders and engineers of the um, lizardmen society of the of these old ones here from the planets oh well, now when you say that these uh that these sauruses are brutish and militaristic are you i guess on a scale of like orcs dumb humans average dwarves and elves you know a little bit more intelligent or whatnot how would you yeah. rate the how would you rate the saurus in in that respect um, below humans, but not, but not as much, but like not halfway to orcs. Okay. Yeah. Like if humans is 10 and orcs is zero, they're probably like around a seven or eight. Okay. And then, and then how yeah. would you rate the skinks? Um, uh, more intel, like more intelligent than a human, but like, okay. If a human is one and an elf, elf and dwarves are 10, this one's probably like a two or three. Okay. Yeah. And again, they're more focused on cooperation and building and engineering. Now, you might wonder what engineers and builders would be needed when they're terraforming a planet, because you should be terraforming, you shouldn't be able to be building anything, right? Especially mm-hmm. if it's a small thing. Well, these things were actually had a very important job. The skinks were in charge of building two very fundamental things for the terraforming process to actually, like, work. Okay. So, I'll, I'll cover both these two things at once, and I'll explain how they relate to one another, okay? All right. So the first thing the skinks built was called the Polar Gates, which are two supermassive structures at the north and south pole of the planet. To put it in perspective, imagine a Stonehenge that's about a large city wide 
and like just elaborate like a met like an incredibly elaborate stone hinge about the width of a large city on both sides of the planets on both planets uh, poles and the second thing they built were called the temple cities which okay. were um each one was meant to be a work of perfect art and each was meant to be incredibly unique in their design but also similar in construction which is like meant to be like they're meant to be the same but different Okay. And every single one of these temple cities was meant to be geomantically placed at incredibly precise positions across the planet. So if one is like one mile away from another one, every single other one must be one mile away from each other kind of thing. You understand? Okay. And these things were scattered all across the planet. Even if they were meant to be built in the middle of the oceans, there was supposed to be one there. Like they, it does not matter where they're being built. They had to be built in these positions. So some could be built in the middle of the ocean. Like some could literally like rise up out of the ocean. Some could be under the ocean. Some could be hmm. in the middle of forest. Some could be built into the side of mountains. Like that's what I'm kind of getting at. They're meant to be just, you know, here is where it's going to be built no matter what. Okay. Well, that takes a certain amount of intelligence to be able to plan on such a scale. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of that's kind of mind blowing. But also, like, uh, if you look at like a lot of these ancient structures that you know archaeologists are digging up here on you know on our planet, I mean, it takes a it takes a special it takes a special kind of intelligence to be able to do what they did way back then with what they had compared to what, no, we, what we're agree. trying to do now. <laughs> I definitely agree. It's so impressive. It's beyond like it's beyond impressive, honestly. Yeah. So the concept with how these two things relate the polar gates each one is meant to function like a portal so what i mean is that these portal these two um polar gates function like warp gates they're able to tap into the warp and they can connect with one another meaning that if someone at the north pole wanted to they can walk into the north polar gate and emerge out of the southern polar gate which is already impressive for transferring resources and stuff but Absolutely. it gets more impressive it's because kind of making me think of the. Uh, have you seen? Uh, uh, have you seen either uh, the Last Airbender or Legend of Korra? I have. Yes. Okay. It kind of makes me think of uh, in the Legend of Korra when both the uh, both the North and the South Pole kind of have that spirit realm portal going about it. Yeah. It kind of makes kind of makes me think of that. Yeah, it's very similar to that where they can relate to one another. If you like pass into one, you can emerge out the other. And again, these can travel to the warp. So you can literally step through one and emerge out the other. It doesn't matter how far you travel. But here's another thing. Because these portals connect through the warp, they can also connect to every other planet that the old ones have visited that still have these polar gates active. Ooh. That's which cool. means that, yeah, which means like, let's say Earth had a polar gate on it right now and one of us traveled, one, and a person traveled through it, they can either mm -hmm. emerge at the south polar gate or in the known world's polar gate. Ah, that's interesting. Which, yes, and this has actually helped them basically dominate even more because, like, let's say they come to the known world with a million with a million sources. Well, a million sources are our million sources. They'll reproduce through they reproduce through a unique method, but that's regard besides the point. There's only so many sources you can have at one time, but with these polar gates, there are entire planets that could be dedicated to spawning more sources. Which means mm -hmm. you can just have a flood of sources, a flood of skinks just coming out of these portals at an exponential rate. Mm -hmm. It basically means they don't have to worry about attrition because, again, they're immortal, but they could they can still be killed. It's impressive just yeah. in general. Yeah. And what these each one of these temple cities was responsible for was that every time these portals were used, 
warp energy, which is basically just pure magic, would leak out of these portal gates because they're so fucking massive that connects to the warp that it would mm-hmm. allow warp magic to kind of escape through these portals. And what these um, these geomantic temples would do is they would basically act like a radio tower. They'd pick up the warp energy, and instead of just having it permeate in this one location, it would kind of like scatter it through like a web, where basically instead of one area only being affected, it would make it so every, everywhere was affected, but on such a small scale that it was basically non-existent. Okay. Okay, now I got to ask this question. Uh, yeah. too. So this basically functions as like your warp tier or whatnot in 40k. However, in 40k, you have to have what's called a Geller field active to basically protect you from all the crazy rap sh- stuff that's going on in the warp. Otherwise, you're likely to either, uh, you know, suffer some kind of horrible mutation or die horribly or something like that. Obviously, the uh, the known world doesn't have this kind of technology. So how how do they get around that issue, or is it something else entirely? Um, it's a lot closer to instead of being a, a warp gate, more closer to a webway gate in Warhammer 40k. Whereas you know uh. the yeah, as you know the Eldar, the Elf equivalent in Warhammer 40k, can travel through what are called webway gates, which is effectively the same concept. Without mm-hmm. having to worry about a Geller field, this is the, the same concept. Okay, so this is more like the webway gates than than actually going through the warp like you do in forty k. Okay. Yeah. So they created those ones. They created the skinks. They created the sources. They also created the um. I believe they're called the Crocorex. They're basically giant crocodiles. I like this already. Um, <laughs> these ones are the least intelligent though of the cast. Um, like again, if sources are like above orc but below humans these ones are like below orcs even they're like that they're they're that low on oh, the intelligence scale yeah <laughs> basically they're they're basically meant to be pack animals they're brutish they're meant to follow orders because they're they're meant to they're bred to only follow orders they're meant to be the construction and the uh, pack animals that transport resources and materials hmm. and also mounts in war okay so i want you to imagine a giant like bus sized crocodile being ridden by an eight-foot-tall dinosaur um, human hybrid. <laughs> Metal. <laughs> yes. Well, well, the 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 dinosaur is also carrying like bone, a bone shield and bone armor, and both of those two things are like stronger than like are like equivalent to steel. So like, I mean, this year you're basically describing the cover of a metal album. So, fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> While going on a genocidal crusade against like super predators on a hostile <laughs> alien world, this is so <laughs> fucking metal. Oh man! Uh, so that was the general like layout of the world. Is that each one of these temples was meant to collect it, but they also didn't just result in collecting like warp energy, because this might be one of the reasons why the old ones chose this planet and why so many super predators lived on the planet. The planet just seemed to like just naturally radiate like what's called nature energy, which is just like a naturally occurring like energy that exists on all like planets and just kind of like radiates outwards. It's not mm-hmm. like dangerous. It's, it's not like hot. It's not like hostile magic. It's just kind of just like everything just kind of radiates magic slightly. So it's kind of like its own separate thing from the warp. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. It, it'd, be, it'd be equivalent to like the orc Y in its own way. Like, the planet just has its own, like, very, very minute wog. Yeah. 
okay or kind of like how uh rune priests from the space wolves argue it's the nature the spirit of fenris yeah i don't like that i don't like that example <laughs> but that's basically the same thing it's basically the same thing you know i did that just to get a rise out of you right i know i know i hate it but you're right <laughs> <laughs> um so on top of like regulating power from the warp these temples also gather like gather and store energy from the natural world and what that means is that slan could actually pull power from these temples if they needed to because all the magic comes from the warp so when a magician when a sorcerer magic uses magic they're actually pulling magic from energy from the warp it's themselves mm-hmm. to like cast spells and shit but if okay. these temples store that energy on a planet-wide scale, on top of pulling magic from themselves, they could also pull magic safely from these temples on top of that to further give themselves even more power. Okay. So you can imagine these... And this is one of the reasons why the planet is so massive, why so many things are actually designed the way they are. Mm-hmm. Because what the slant would do... It was mostly a slant at this point. The old ones basically put them in charge of terraforming the planet. Is they would actually create purpose-built locations across the planet for specific races that would come to grow on this planet. So that explains why the fertile plane that was considered Khazar was, as you put it, purpose-built. Yep. Oh yeah, it's all coming together. <laughs> now this is where there's actually some theory crafting allowed to happen. Because it depends on how you want to put it. Because it was during this time that all the race that we traditionally see start to take form. The elves, the dwarves, the humans, the greenskins. All these things kind of just start to start to pop up in this re- start to like pop up around this time. So it depends on how you want to view it because there's a bunch of different ways that it happens. There's including the concept of gods in a fantasy world. Now, the normal method, the more like accepted method is that the old ones basically just created all these races. First they created the elves, then they created the dwarves, then the humans, and they would eventually create some of the other races, like the halflings and the ogres and a bunch of other races. The greenskins, which are the orcs, they had already existed on this planet. They were one of the like bottom 1% that the sources didn't need to kill. They still like fought them because orcs were the, always the aggressors, but they were never... Um, but it was never the concept of we need to exterminate them. They are such a low threat in the scale that if they attack us, kill them, but otherwise focus on the bigger threats. Ah, so is there like a, a quirk equivalent or were they always just your typical, your, your typical uh, fantasy green skin orcs? They were always the typical fantasy green skin orcs. There is sadly no quirk equivalent. Imagine how sc- how much scarier Warhammer fantasy would be if there was. I mean, I don't think they need the sources anymore. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? So that's effectively what it was. It was wipe out all the races, blah, blah, blah. The green skins are already there. They, want, they were one of the races. Now, the one I like to view it, because this actually explains why gods are a thing in a lot of mythologies, otherwise they wouldn't worship the old ones, mm-hmm. is that on top of bring, is the concept of gods. This is mostly for the Eldar gods, the elf gods, and the dwarven gods. Now, how this works... Mm-hmm is the elf gods have 28 gods, which is a lot of them. I'm not going to cover them. Don't worry about it. But the idea is that these 12 gods are meant to the world is what it is. It's literally said that they come to the world and they help bring up the elves. And a lot of individual, a lot of the gods are called father and mother of the gods. 
So what this has led to some people um, discussing, as well as the concept of the dwarven gods being called ancestor gods, is that these gods aren't actually gods, but that the elves, the dwarves, the humans that live on the known world are settlers from other worlds that the old ones have visited. That's one of the theories that explains why gods exist. Okay. So the idea is like they create these, these polar gates and then they actually bring elves, dwarves, and humans with them to colonize the world after the fact. Hmm. That's interesting. That's one of the theories. Again, it's not confirmed. That's just one of the theories that passes around. And this theory really got, and the reason why this theory is like popular is because in Age of Sigmar, it said that um, every single time a world dies, like every time an end times happens, the survivors of that world become gods or powerful figures in the next world. Ah, so that explains the whole uh, Sigmar being becoming, you know, the the God King Sigmar. If I'm understanding my end times war correct, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, Sigmar was a god. In he's a god in um, the old world, but in Warhammer, but in the age of Sigmar, he actually becomes even more powerful of a god. Like he basically double ascends the godhood. Ah, yes. and from what I also heard too, a much better emperor than the god emperor of mankind. Debatable, but I think so too. Now, excuse me while I barricade my door from the Inquisition. <laughs> so that's the theory is that um, all the gods that come, that all the gods that the elves, dwarves, and humans worship were basically refugees from the previous world that the old ones like rescued them from, basically. Okay. I kind of like that theory because it's like the, uh, I don't know, it's like the, uh, our founder story where it's just like something happened eons ago. It gets, you know, this this person muddled found, by history and it's muddled in his by history and then it's just like expanded upon and then expanded upon expanded upon and then just filled with more fantastical elements as the story goes on till it's just like completely blown up into like mythological proportions as you know we like to as yeah. we like to put it yeah i agree so if you want to go with the traditional way though the elves did the elves were the first race made and the concept is the the old ones in the slan made the elves to be their successors. That when the slan would eventually die out from like just each generation getting weaker and weaker, they would need a powerful magical race to succeed them. They would create the elves. The problem is that the elves, because of how passionate they were and how single-minded they would actually be prone to become because of how strong their emotions were, they basically considered the elves to be a plan B. It was like, hey, well, I mean, our first draft wasn't bad, but <laughs> we definitely need to hammer out some of these mistakes we made. Why? What's so, what's with fantasy settings and elves always being the, the very first race? Because elves are the best race? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, realizing the fuck up that... Well, it wasn't so much a fuck up that they made. It was more like, okay, well, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not ideal. Um, they would they would they would keep the elves around because again they're they're a decent plan B, <laughs> they're a decent plan B is what they are, and the idea was okay well we'll put them on Ulthuan, which is the Atlantis parallel which is in the middle of the um ocean if you remember if you remember your map there's like a donut in the ocean, yeah I'm I'm looking at it right now actually that's yeah that's what the um the that's where the elves were basically put they were put there 
and it would basically be the ideal paradise world. It was like, okay, if you leave them here on this basically Atlantis paradise world, they shouldn't be too driven by excessive and emotion and selfishness to like want or need anything. So we can keep them there until we need until either we were we figure until we figure out what to do with them. Basically, we'll <laughs> we'll still train them with magic. The sign will still train them with magic, but for the most part, they're our plan B. <laughs> we'll just shove this shove them here in a closet with some crude bottles to play with. <laughs> <laughs> next, oh wait, <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah. So, next, they would make the dwarves. Aha! Ooh, my people who are your homeboys. <laughs> yeah. The problem, the problem with the dwarves is: imagine you're a kid, you're a teenager, right? You just you just hand your first draft into your teacher, and your teacher's like, "Yeah, this is this is not good. Um, fix these mistakes." So then you end up fixing those mistakes, but as a result, you overcorrect in the other way, <laughs> and so you create more mistakes. <laughs> yeah, you kind of overtune your previous mistakes, so. Because what you saying about my homeboys now? <laughs> because the elves are so passionate, they have such a, a literal flair for the dramatics, and are to the point and are somewhat selfish. The elves are the dwarves meant to be the polar opposite of that. They're very community driven. Their emotions are are more tempered, and by that I mean they're more short tempered, as in, like basically they're more stocky. It's more compressed, is what it is. <laughs> Okay. You basically just described me IRL perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm sure you know the concept of grudges with uh, dwarves, right? Oh, yes. Yep. So That's a token. Oh, yeah. oh, you really done fucked up? Ah, you're going on the list. So, the idea of grudges for dwarves is actually almost like a biological thing where it's meant to be a survival type where it's like, oh, as long as we stay away from that fucker, we'll be fine. Kind of thing. It's meant to be almost like a community thing where it's like we stay together. If anyone wrongs us, we get revenge on them so that we don't like suffer to them in the future. Kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is actually kind of fun. Mm-hmm. On top of that, where the elves are super magic users, the dwarves have no magic. <laughs> or okay, I don't want to say there's no magic. They're mad instead of the like where the elven magic is flashy. It's extroverted. It's out. It's more outside focused. It's more like mm-hmm. flair wise. Uh-huh. The dwarven magic is actually more close to like enchantments. Like just by the way they can forge and craft equipment, they can almost like subconsciously like weave magic into items. That's very the way you just described it is very similar, if not outright stated verbatim, how the dwarves do magic in uh, uh, Dragon Age. That's actually pretty cool because uh, I don't know if you've ever played it, but like uh, of course elves are the exactly the way you described it very flashy and you know mat more a lot more magical dwarves they themselves can't use magic but they have access to a uh element called lyrium which enhances a lot of magic magic powers especially in humans and dwarves are able to kind of work that and work that into different enchantments and runes and uh weapons and armor and so that's their kind of workaround for uh creating or for using magic quote unquote that's actually very interesting. It's a very fun game if you have the if you have the time to <laughs> if you have the time. So <laughs> that's the dwarves. Now, yes. looking at their mistake again, they realize, oh, okay, well, maybe this will be another Plan B. <laughs> plan B Part Two. <laughs> so 
they kind of regulated the dwarves again. They're like, hey, you know what? Just just go over there for a second, because <laughs> you know, unlike unlike the elves who got a closet, these ones are told to play in the yard. It's, oh crap! They're digging holes. Who who? Okay, who showed them Minecraft? <laughs> it was gay elves going to the closet. Oh, fuck, we made dwarves. Um, we've got any more closets. Uh, just go in the yard. Go in. The, get 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 outside. Get in the yard. <laughs> so then they're like, hey, you know what? Fuck you. Well, let's let's make humans. Let's let let's let's combine the two. Let's combine the exact middle ground of the dwarves and humans. The dwarves and elves. We'll see what we make. Can't get any worse than this. <laughs> Don't tempt fate. Um, they made again. This one was more close to a plan C, though. So <laughs> they're like, hey, the bottom you know of the what? barrel with the with the with these perfect beans. <laughs> so you know what they're like. I mean, it's not it's not that wor- that much worse. But I mean, you know what? Throw, throw them in the desert. Just, you know what? Throw them in the desert. I don't. I don't even want to think about those ones right now. Fuck. <laughs> Throw them in basically Africa. We'll throw them in in Africa. We'll we'll deal with them later. Yeah, perhaps they'll create they'll create oil lamps and like uh, summon blue genies and whatnot and make and give them three wishes. I mean, there is a place called Araby. G W. I see what you did there. It's ruled by a sorcerer named Jafar. G- mm, I'm not even gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> Never fucking lying. They lied to us. So yeah, they're like, you know what? Just put them in the desert. Put them over there. We'll be fine. Um. So around this point, however, this is when the old ones—I don't want to say they got desperate, but it was very much kind of just like, hey, you know what? Just let's just throw ideas at the wall. Just start throwing things at the wall. See what sticks. <laughs> because they started the one of the general theories that every single one of these three races actually did live on the known world when it was when it was roaming with apex predators it's just that every single one of these races was like the bottom tier of the race like Hmm. they were like the prey animals of these apex predators and so they decided okay you know what let's just fucking take one of the other like 90 like bottom one percent and work with that (laughs) and so they grabbed and this is where they made the ogres which were basically giant humans that were super that were super strong were good at magic were decently smart they were they were basically like top running for like plan a like they were like top running for like if not like not just plan a but like the like s plus was how close they were getting but the problem is that it's hard to imagine the race of shreks as being plan a (laughs) the problem is though oh they were also super resistant to chaos so like, just imagine like a coronate demon just popping up and being ready to you know spill some blood and take some skulls and and then the ogres would just be like get out of my swamp <laughs> the problem though is that because of how strong like because of how top tier they were they had a problem with like hunger like they would just constantly need to eat because they were like they were just burning calories so fast like they were so hard to like maintain that they would just kind of just eat shit. Like they were just really hungry, really hungry boys. And because so they, they were really so hungry, saying they got chunk. <laughs> they had to get chunk to survive, which is why hobbits, or I guess halflings, are a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because apparently the reason halflings were made was to be the race that feeds the ogres. <laughs> God, I love this universe. I'm not sure Frodo and Samwise would appreciate that. 
Yeah, they were they weren't meant to like be fed to the ogres. They're meant to cook for them. <laughs> Someone missed the fine print. Now the thing is though, is that as great as all this sounded, the old ones did not have an unlimited amount of time to work out the kings of the ogres. Because it's around this time that what's called the Great Catastrophe happens. Is that in any way related to the War in Heaven? Uh, pretty close. It's the equivalent to the War in Heaven. Oh my, do tell. Go ahead. The Great Catastrophe was great, and it was a catastrophe. All right, good talk, everyone. Have a good. Let's. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> just kidding. Just so, kidding. The Great Catastrophe uh, was basically the end, the first end times. It was Chaos's first invasion. The concept is that, as you can imagine, using the polar gates to travel and to transport resources to the planet is great and all. Until you remember that they're literally traveling through the warp to bring resources here. And this is when the four Chaos Gods realized, hey, look, there's a door right into that world that we can use. <laughs> and suddenly demons um yeah basically the two polar gates were so overwhelmed with um like warp energy that they literally collapsed any slant any um any like forces that were like either using these polar gates at the time were just fucking swallowed into the warp they were like instantly destroyed and swallowed up by by the warp and demons oh yeah to the point that this literally killed half of the first generation of Slan. This is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Now, to put in perspective, I want you to imagine, like, two gateways to hell positioned on the north and south pole. Okay, I'm getting doom vibes, but go ahead. Yeah, it's basically two eye of terrors on the pla- on this one planet. That's not good. Yeah. So mad oh another thing is that when is that when these two gates opened, the, like when these two rifts into the warp opened, the two polar gates literally exploded. Like they like ex- like when nu- like massive nuclear explosions. And they mm. actually scattered material all across the planet in both hemispheres and northern and southern hemisphere. This uh-huh. material would actually become warp stone. <gasps> so you mean to say so you mean to say magic crack cocaine? <laughs> Came from hell? <laughs> So that's where it came from. Yeah. Oh, I should also say that when this happened, um, the resulting like upheaval from the northern from the northern pole specifically produced so much of this material that it actually went that actually propelled itself into the atmosphere and formed the second moon, which is the moon the Skaven would eventually throw at the planet. <laughs> and naturally, this moon is made out of pure warp stone. Ah, so does it go? So does it have like a nice green tint to it? In the oh, it has, a, it has a green skull face on it. Oh, that's interesting. Do you happen to have a picture of well, that? Well, it's a green moon, but it has like a green. But the shadows of the surface of the moon look like uh, look like a skull. Okay, that's actually pretty cool. If all, why why don't why don't we have a moon like that? Actually, no, don't answer that question. <laughs> so naturally, this is where the two sources of warpstone come from. Basically, what happens is from the first explosion, you can find any and all of the warp zone. Like the first, like impact of warp zone is from these explosions. Like it scatters the planet, but then additional warp zone can actually fall onto the surface of the planet from the moon. As the moon will naturally become close to, as the moon um, is close to the planet, it mm-hmm. will actually start to like drip 
and like make um warp zone kind of fall like just through gravity through gravity alone so to tie this back into our last episode on the skaven and the fall of kazar that rain of green rocks is that was that from was this event related to i guess where the pieces of the moon would just would drip off and just land and just you know fall like rain on kazar yep exactly Ah, see, it is all coming together. Yep, so the concept is, like, when the bell rang, it, like, shook the moon and caused, like, fragments from the moon to fall. Ah. Yes, yes, yes. Most interesting. Okay, I am looking at the map while we're talking about the Skaven once again. Where does it... I'm trying to look for it, but my blown-up picture is a little fuzzy. Where... Can you tell is Skaven Blight or Kazar, whatever it happens to be named? Um, I believe it is in the it is either in the Badlands or the Darklands, but it is along the mountain range. Okay, so it's kind of in that area, like bordering the Empire and uh, yeah, Bretonian places like that. Okay, yeah, okay, but yeah, but again, Skaven can be anywhere. So I mean. <laughs> That that is true, but like I guess as far if we're going by the the meta story of it all started in Kazar or Skaven Blight, yeah, you can kind of see where you can kind of track their location relative to everywhere else. So this is but where they just sent me a picture of the of the uh, Warpstone Moon. It actually looks pretty cool. Like legit, yeah. looks like a green skull. Yeah, it's pretty fucking cool. You can say Red Skull got green with envy. Ha! That's a knee slap. That's a <laughs> oh knee slapper. Crazy. So, <laughs> this is how the second moon Moore's Leap was formed. That's the second moon made of pure warp stone. This is another reason why warp stones all over the place. But here's another thing. Normally, these now normally these gates opening will be bad news, but because of the wonderful like um, temple cities that are across the planet, this mm-hmm. was actually able to almost function like a web, like almost like a soccer field net. And like catch the excess energy and naturally it kind of like ripples it throughout the rest of the net to kind of like contain it and keep it stable, right? Uh-huh. Now that would be great, except for the fact that the explosion actually destroyed not a good portion of it, but destroyed some of them. And this is basically like playing soccer with a bunch of holes cut in your net. Like the, mm. the balls still get caught, but stuff is gonna leak through. Ah. Uh. So and it isn't like a good amount of them. It was just like some of them were destroyed, but again, like because of the fact that each one was positioned at a very specific point, even like one piece getting taken is still a good is still a good blow. Mm-hmm. And this naturally meant that a big influx of magic came into the world. And this meant that anyone who was close to it was either killed or they were horribly mutated into like masses of like muscle and flesh, or they actually Ugh. transformed into what are called beast men. Which is basically like a hybridized human. If they were human, elf, or dwarf, if they were a human with race in some form. Mostly humans, though, they would turn into beast men, which was like a mix of like a human, but they would have mm-hmm. like animalistic features. Like they might have like a goat head. They might have the wing of a bird. They might have like the leg of a cow. Like and like the the leg of and the other leg will be like a slug's, like a slug appendage. Like it just become like a gibbering, awkward mass. Pretty. And like in re- yeah, it just becomes like these horrible like disgusting like fusions of animal and human and these things are obviously like berserker mindless crazy things that will kill each other cannibalize each other or just spread out Mm. and on top of just beastmen just roaming the world on top of warp stone which again is extremely mutative and like really powerful in terms of just magic you also Mm -hmm. had demons invading from both 
from both poles. No, just not a good, just in general, not a good time. Yeah. So this was obviously not great. Um, the dwarves were the smart ones and decided to dig a hole and hide in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why they have like the underway and like all their fortresses are underground because they literally built followed shelters and decided to hide in them and wait out the storm. <laughs> <laughs> it makes so much sense now. Yeah, they were. I think they were the race that was like the least affected by demons. Like they still fought demons, but because they like hid underground, they were like the ones who got off the like the safest. <laughs> That's great. Because we're fine. Just stay in the hole. We're fine. Leave us alone. We're fine. And don't touch the beard. <laughs> the beards are super awesome. Mm, yes, glorious. Conditioned it last week. Ah, uh, I got to split my hair. Dang it! I just braided it yesterday. <laughs> So imagine just a horde of demons invading this place. Now, this was not great for almost anyone unless you're the dwarves. The trolls were fine because, again, they were basically made to be fucking, like, perfect. So they were kind of going on. And because of the fact that, the, because of the fact that this happened, the old ones actually couldn't perfect the ogres. Which means that despite how good they were, they could have been even better if they would have had more time to complete the project. Mm-hmm. But during this event... The old ones disappeared. Now, the con theory that the lizard men have is that they were all slaughtered by demons. But the running joke is that they decided to go get milk. They decided while the house was on fire that they were going to go get milk. And there's my ride. <laughs> now, I like, I like the idea that they died because it makes them not seem stupid and just so quick to just abandon a planet. It was like, you know what? We tried. We got a bunch of Plan Bs in the closet, and we got, like, one partial Plan A. We're done. Well, when you consider what happens to the old ones in 40K, they don't quite have a good track record of making those kind of smart decisions. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so, This on one measly, weak one... little race just wanted immortality. Why did you have to say no? Now look what you started. So the old ones is up and dipped. Half of the Slans first generation are just fucking dead. <laughs> Dwarves are hiding underground. The world is overrun by demons. Just ass is going on. Like the world is just, just awful. Demons are everywhere. Beastmen are everywhere. It's raining magic space cocaine. It's just it's not a nice. Coke. It's not a good place to be. Now here's the thing, though. The Slan and the Lizard Men were not so keen to give up. They lost half their fucking population, and they were still like fucking bet. <laughs> like this is what Lizard Men are fucking cool. They're like, you know what? Fucking bet we can still fucking kick your ass, demons. <laughs> it's like the it's like the phrase from Undertale: "You are filled with determination." <laughs> You're filled with so much determination. For reference, um, if you want to go back to the map, the uh, lizard man race, like the slan and all their subspecies, they inhabit what's called they used to inhabit what's called Nezarak, all the way down to the New World. They con- they basically had all of like the North and South Americas. And then they also had um, the Southlands, which is like Africa. Okay, yep, Southlands. And you said something about Lustria in the last in the last episode too. And that's okay. So yeah, the South America lookalike. Yep, South America is called Lustria. Okay, the one so, place the Skaven couldn't take. Literally. <laughs> so this is so that's for reference. That's where they have they have all of the Americas and then Africa. And the reason why they have Africa and the Americas is because Africa is the closest point to the North to the South Pole, and the Americas mm-hmm. all, literally touch the North Pole. Oh, yep, you're right. So that's the best way to put it. That's that's 
that's the reason why. <laughs> and the concept was that these points are going to be like this is basically where the majority of the fighting was. So imagine, so again, the slan at the peak can literally move the planet's axial tilt, move the planet closer to the sun, shit, bullshit like that. Imagine the type of fighting that they're doing on in like the Americas and on in in Africa and bullshit against hordes and hordes of demons. And again, these guys have like sources and crocoricks and skinks building their war machines. Like, this is like the most insane war zone ever. This is a war zone amongst gods, effectively. Kind of like a war in heaven. Ah, that's another knee slapper. (laughs) So, while this was going on, there were humans who actually left their lands and actually traveled all the way to like, um, like across basically Europe and Asia. And if mm-hmm. you notice, a place called Grand Cafe is actually something called the Great Bastion. Uh huh. That's basically the um, the wall from um, from Westeros. It's basically a massive like stone wall that's built to keep demons from entering Asia. AKA that keeps them from the, the AKA Great Wall, the China. Great wall of China. <laughs> yeah. Gee, the James Workshop. Mm. But notice it's <laughs> in the north. <laughs> It's totally different. It's completely different. <laughs> it keeps the barbaric demons out of Asia. <laughs> now all the Grand Cathay knows you're here. <laughs> so <laughs> that's basically what was happening there. Now, while the dwarves were selling down, humans were building a wall to try and keep demons out while also getting fucked up. Some humans actually did turn to the worship of demons because it was basically, hey, either die or serve us. And you're not going to mm-hmm. say no to the fucking demons. Um, Bellacor was a human in this in this timeline, in this universe. Bellacor. Yes, he was actually one of the one of the first demon worshippers, and he eventually rose to become a demon. So um, now is so, yeah. is this version's Bellacor different from the 40k version? Or um, to my knowledge, they're meant to be different, but like they're basically the same. Okay, so are he, they completely different? Are they completely different models, or they? Uh, no, they're literally the same model. Okay. All right. My minor nitpick to uh, GW: If you want to insist that these are two separate characters, why give them the same mini? You know, I can buy yes. the Chaos God stuff, but come on now. <laughs> yes, yes, because Bellacor is meant nitpick. to be like a human. Is meant to be like a Xenos or something in 40k, and in this one, he's probably not. So because he's a human, he is literally confirmed to be a human. Well, um, if you want to know where Bellacor comes from, he comes from Norska. It's at the Norska, very top so of the map. Uh, okay, so basically, uh, Norse, Norseman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a Viking. Ah, yes. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, while the demons were getting fucked up by Lizardmen, Lizardmen were fucking up the demons. Um, the problem was that as this war was going on, Every single defeat led to one of these temple cities getting destroyed. So if you oh. want to use that soccer analogy I gave before, again, imagine playing soccer, but every single like minute, a, like one section of the net is cut, so, like continuously cut over and over and over again. Mm. And it's kind of just like, how do you stop the soccer ball from getting through at some points? Which means that every victory, chaos gets stronger. The demons become more numerous and they become harder to kill and more powerful. Which naturally gets a snowball effect, yeah. This really is why we can't have nice things. Yep. Um, 
it got to the point where, well, most of the temple cities in um, North in um, in Nasakar or not? Na- no, it's not Nasakar. Nasarak were like they, I'm not saying they're destroyed, but they were basically occupied. Um, it was basically got to the point where only in Lustria were any of these like temples like still active. It's not that mm-hmm. they were destroyed, but they were mostly mostly being um, powered there. Okay. Yeah, um, and it got to the point that um, all the first generation slain died except one. <laughs> hmm. Does this one have a name? I believe he is called. Is he called? He's either called Lord Croak or Master Mundi. That seems a little on the nose, but okay, I'll I'll, I'll roll with it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so that's <laughs> one confirm. I don't want to give. I don't want to spread obvious incorrect information. Hey, no fake news here. Yeah, he's he. he it's a Mazda Mundi. Okay. And he was said to be the most powerful of the slan, but um, he basically was the last one alive, and he was basically the only one like holding the gate. Basically, there was a, there was second generation and third generation at this point, but it was basically like him carrying the team. <laughs> <laughs> like this guy had the highest KD. This guy was like fighting everywhere. This guy was like. This guy was basically throwing sun like mini suns at people at hordes of demons. <laughs> so this is basically one of those memes where it's just like the team at 100% power, and then it's just a picture of him, the team at 99% power. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's the movie was pretty awesome. But the problem was is that he's only one guy, and eventually bad things have to happen for everyone else except the elves, because the elves are fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. So while this is going on, obviously Othuan's also being invaded by demons. And there was this really awesome guy. And I'm not being ironic, he's actually fucking cool. <laughs> I'm not trying to like be an asshole and like, oh, he was so awesome. He's the best guy. No, he was actually like <laughs> a really, a really good guy. <laughs> <laughs> so um obviously the elves have their gods, which are the 24 gods, but the chief god among them was Asturian. He was called the Phoenix King. He was said to be the first of the Elven gods, the most powerful mm-hmm. Elven gods. He meant to be super powerful, and he was basically meant to be the first. He was meant to be so powerful he was on par with the Slan. Like the Slan trained him personally. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, and he obviously held the position of Phoenix King, which meant that he was in charge of the gods and the Elves. But eventually, all the gods go away for one reason or another, and basically, the position of Phoenix King was like um. It was meant to be like an empty title. Like no one was the Phoenix King. Only Assyrian was the Phoenix King. And it was basically like he rules us, but there's no but no one sits the throne, basically. And and, and just for my clarification, you said this guy was named Assyrian? Yeah. Any relation to uh Assyrian or Azuriani from 40k or just pure coincidence? Um it's it um uh, the El- the Elven gods are the same as the Eldar gods. Okay. Yeah, like they literally have a Caleb and Chicane in uh, Warhammer Fantasy. Oh. Yep, they also have an Isha and a Kronos. So. Okay. Yeah. They're well, a little carry over here. Are yeah, you? This is another Jake. reason why um, people point to the refugee theory, which is that um, humans, Eldar, and um, squats are basically like transposed from one universe to another every single time. Mm hmm. Yeah. But in 40K, all the Eldar. All the Eldar gods, except for what the Avatars of Cain and Isha are dead, right? Yeah, and uh, Kerak. 
Kagarak. Yeah, and Kagarak. Can't for, can't forget our favorite laughing laughing murder clown. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, this while this is going on, the elder the elder not the elder the elves. Sorry, wrong universe. We're kind <laughs> of not happy because you know demons are attacking. It's yep. the end of the world. Um, things aren't going great. And it's the problem the is that the world, how they as we know it. <laughs> <laughs> because of how they were trained, they were actually meant to be somewhat passive as well, in that they were basically not taught violence. So, like, while they knew of war, war was always seen as like we don't need to resort to war because we're we're a paradise we're a paradise race. We didn't have to resort to like the barbarity of war. It was so perfect meant, sitting in our high towers. Oh. Yeah, it was basically meant they were stuck using defensive magic in an offensive war. And what happened was that one of these um, elves was called Anarian, <laughs> and Anarian was a, was generally an, was a, was a general elf. Um, like like he was a spellcaster, and he had a wife and children, and you know he was all happy, he was all great, and then demons decided to kill his wife and children. Not really though, but to his knowledge, they died. Mm-hmm. So he goes to all John Wick on them, right? Um, basically, he got really depressed. Because they died and really angry and really hateful, so he ended up cro- he ended up climbing to I believe it's called the Mountain of Cain or the Tower of Cain, and he was like, no, not the Tower of Cain, it was the Tower of Asturian, and he was basically pleading with Asturian, hey gods, please come back, please protect us, my wife and children are dead, please save us, and he never got an answer, and he was like, why is no one answering me? Like I need someone to answer me, I need some response. And he's, again, he's very depressed. He's very, very sad. And he looks at the flame of Assyrian, which is the throne of Assyrian. It's basically a giant fire. It's basically just like a plume of flame, which is basically meant to be like mm-hmm. the Assyrian, the Phoenix King's power, like Phoenix fire bullshit shit. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, you know what? I'm fucking depressed. I don't fucking care. I'm going in. He fucking walks, walks into the flames of Assyrian. <laughs> <laughs> again, Elves have a flair for the dramatics. Clearly. And the concept the concept is that this fire is meant to burn you away to your truest self. So it burdens everything away except your tr- truest self and remakes you from the flames of Assyrian. And it's basically right, so meant, what is this yeah. truest self of, of him? It basically turns him into Doom Guy. Okay, I can get down with that. <laughs> Might make me turn turn towards elves now. Just might. <laughs> He's basically like, you know what? I'm walking through the flames. I'm getting Assyrian's power. He basically becomes like an avatar of Assyrian. And he becomes known as like the defender of Uthuan. He just He's a really fucking awesome guy. <laughs> I mean, can you can can you blame me for liking the elves? Don't push it now. Uh, now there was um one issue though oh i should also point out that on top of getting um the flame of Assyrian, he also has a fucking dragon okay that that's cool in my book it, just just yeah. him at least <laughs> yeah one of the uh what's it called one of the flames whatever what's it called one of the um one of the dragons just naturally permeated this planet just existed there and he was like okay i'm fucking like taking this dragon he, like tamed it and he basically became a dragon rider <laughs> okay, that's cool. Dragon dragons are awesome. Dragon riders are even more awesome. Okay, yep. yeah. And again, this is an elven like avatar of like the chief patron god of the Phoenix King, and he basically began using their he be, and it obviously amplified his magical powers. 
and he became basically just an incredibly powerful, aggressive magic user that basically taught the elves violence. <laughs> now, <laughs> someone it, woke up a day and chose violence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, um, this is this is all great and all. This is all good and all. The problem is, though, is that while he did basically protect, he basically became like a soul protector. He became like, again, like just like how Mazamundi was 99% the team's power. Um, <laughs> and Aaron was basically 99% the Elven's power, the Elven Defender's power of Uthwan. And he was basically like riding his dragon, fighting demons constantly. Mm-hmm. And basically stomped the chaos invasion of Uthwan single handedly. The problem, though, is that all good things have to come to an end eventually, yes? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so, he decided that during the second invasion, I believe this is actually where... No, this is where he gets this. No, this is after. So, during the second invasion, he realizes that there's no choice because he basically won the first game, but the second time he was going to lose. This was basically, oh, I beat you guys on a fa- on first time around. You guys come back with even more power now. I am fucked up. <laughs> and naturally, he's like training some of the elves, you know, fight to use their magic more aggressively. But there's only so much time he has to work with, and he's still just one guy. He can't teach everybody all the power he needs. So he decides, okay, you know what? I need more power. I'm going to need another God's blessing. <laughs> and he decides to visit Kayla Mencha Kane's uh, tower, which happens to have the Sword of Cain stabbed like embedded into its surface and okay. while invasion while demons are invading Uthwan, anarian grabs a sword and i should mention that this is the only time the elven gods spoke to him like actually spoke to him but it wasn't just the elven gods it was also the chaos gods and potentially Uh-oh. human and dwarf gods and every single one of them was telling him to no Please don't fucking pick up that sword. You have no idea what the fuck you're doing. Put the sword down. That is the god of murder. What the fuck are you doing? It's like, don't do it. Don't do it. And you did. And he picked up the sword, didn't he? And the and like the chaos gods rescue him not to. And the reason why is because they said, "You will damn your entire race if you pick up this sword." And like they're telling him not to. And the and the reason why is it's implied that the chaos gods want you to surrender to them. But for him to take this action is basically not just to commit, is to basically sacrifice everyone to a twisted version, to a twisted fate, just out of spite and revenge. And it's not even in their favor, it's just against them. And that's why they're kind of like, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Mm. Um, so the moment he picks up the sword, every single elf ever suddenly learns violence. <laughs> Open like, the map Pandora's box in. Passive. They basically went from like, oh, I'm a passive defensive race to I'm going to murder. So is this how the fantasy elves are deemed automatically to go to Slanesh, or is that or does that come later? Um, that comes later. I believe that Slanesh doesn't actually have a claim on Elven souls in this setting. Yes. Wait, you don't think you don't think Slanesh does? Um, Sanesh does have like a favoritism towards elves, but she doesn't have an automatic like you're mine to my knowledge. Not like not like a forty k. She does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but regardless, <laughs> um, Manarian basically becomes even more doom guy. He basically becomes like level one thousand doom guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
so he has a dragon. The flames are Syrian that has basically made him like a demigod. And he is a sort of a god of murder. And he just turned all the elves into like super violent murder hobos. <laughs> the only thing we um, fear is you. <laughs> now, the thing is, though, is that while all the, all the elves were like, they, all the elves basically turned to berserkers. And they were all basically like willing to die against demons. Like, I have the purposes. The elven race was like prepared to die against demons. That's how violent they had become when he drew the sword. Mm-hmm. There was a few of them who actually didn't want to, you know, resort to such like barbaric ways. And one of them was called the Dragon Tamer. <laughs> dragon Tamer. Okay. He has a full name, but the Dragon Tamer is just a fucking bomb ass name to give him. <laughs> Is his full name like one of those that's like 10 pages long of titles? No. <laughs> okay. No, no. I just like the dragon. I just like saying the dragon tamer because it makes him sound just even fucking cooler. But if you Absolutely. really need to know, like, do you need to know his name or is it cool with the dragon tamer? You know what? I'm cool with the dragon tamer. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Needs no further introduction. Yeah, that's what I fucking thought. <laughs> <laughs> so. Our boy, the Dragon Tamer, was the premier sorcerer. Like he was ba- like if a Syrian, like he was basically right behind Phoenix King in terms of like skill and magical ability. But like since he became a murder hobo and magic has gone stronger, the Dragon Tamer basically passed the Phoenix King in terms of ability. Like it was mm-hmm. like, oh, you guys are on par until you started going down the um, melee route, and I kept standing in the mage route, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he became the most powerful sorcerer up to that point. And he always, and he began taking in students and protégés and people to train and to reach to his level. He eventually came up with a, a plan to save the world, basically. Because elves had to save the world because they're awesome. The Dragon Tamer and his 11 disciples um, form a plan, which is to siphon the magic out of the polar gates. That's their general concept. And the problem, though, is that uh, the Phoenix King does not want to agree with this. He does not want to go with this. And Arian's like, no, we're just going to fucking murder them and we're going to die because that's what we're going to do. We have, like, no future now. The world's going to end. Let's just fucking die in a blaze of glory. The Dragon Tamer decides, no, we're not going to fucking do that. We can save the world. Me and my 11 guys are going to do this. And Arian says, no, I'm not going to fucking do that. Bullshit, they're kind of arguing. The dragon human decides, oh, you know what? By the way, I already summoned all the demons here, so suck it, bitch. <laughs> it was basically like, oh, you're saying no. That's too bad. Demons are already on their way. <laughs> I already invited everybody. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and, an Arian, and an Arian realizing this is like, fuck, okay, you know what? I have no choice now. I have to defend you, you fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so this results in all of the basically all of the elves except for these 11 basically besides these 12 i mean like basically defending them while these while these 12 sorcerers are pulling their magic together using all of their high magic all of their ancient sorceries everything they have at their disposal to cast this enormous spell and while this is going on while all this is going on it's said that a bunch of like different events happen either concurrently or like one thing after another led to different events happening. Like it said that um, the last temple city fell and Mazdamundi was slaughtered when this happened. Hmm. Like it's like, you know, this big event that happened, like, oh, when this happened, this happened, this happened. But the concept is that Mazdamundi died. He released a flare of energy that killed all the demons in the temple city, keeping it standing. And because his temple city was still active, 
it provided like the last like pillar of energy able to keep um to basically make sure that the spell that the dragon tamer and his 11 disciples would succeed in Mm. And the concept was that they would basically pull the magic out of the sky, out of the world, and basically create the eye of the storm, basically. Okay, so it's kind of like why Oathwain looks kind of like a donut, basically. Um, yeah, that's because they had an accident where they tried, where um, someone accidentally caused the caused the thing to kind of like sink the middle of the island. Oh. So, so Games Workshop's trying to have their cake and eat it too with the whole Atlantis shtick. Yeah, it's still sending, but only partially. Ah, okay so then. At the, yeah, at the very center of Uthwan is a, is an island, like an island bay, and it's on that island. It's it was it used to be Mountain Peak. Now it's like a little like inlet island. Um, that was basically where that's where the um vortex is. That's where the vortex of magic is. That's what it becomes. Basically, they're uh, okay. pulling all of the magic out of the two poles, and they're basically stabilizing the magic to basically create this like hurricane, massive like superstorm at the center of their island that mm-hmm. pulls magic out of the world and feeds it into this tornado. And it caught, and because this like ritual is performed, it basically sucks all the magic out of the world. Well, most of the magic out of the world, and this causes all the demons to wither and die. Ah, uh, because demons. Need the need the warp energy to to function. Yes. Yep, 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 yep. Now, what this does though is that because they basically like, pulled all magic into this tornado, it's basically created this massive like whirlwind of magic, and this actually causes like currents of magic to kind of like taper off and feed out of the world to flow out, like like again like wind currents, like breezes. And there are eight different currents that are formed because of this superstorm. And each one of these eight um, currents relates to a different type of magic, mm-hmm. like a different school or element of magic. So the best way to like examine it is to imagine it like um, like light, like a prism of like a white light. So if high magic or pure magic is a white light, the vortex of magic is the prism that all the magic reflects through. Okay. So do you care to learn about the eight winds of magic quick? Quick, quick. Just quick, quick. <laughs> so there's the fire wind, which is basically used for all fire-related magic. So if you heal someone with fire, like you cauterize their wound, you throw a fireball, mm-hmm. you get a firestorm, bullshit fire. That's where that <laughs> hey, one Hey, 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 pyromancers are awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, sorry. Then you have the wind of heaven, which is not actually heaven. It's more akin to, like, space, like... Okay. Star magic and like dropping meteors on people and bullshit and like creating like small suns. And, okay, like, so like uh, uh, so like okay, so like gravity magic from Elden Ring and yeah, uh, the very infamous General Radon boss fight. Yes. Then we have the wind of metal, which is basically alchemy and like uh, technology and like there, it's related to basically like, science of the world and like enchantments. So would you say these people are like? Full Metal Alchemists. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing that twice in a row when I'm watching it on without any ads. <laughs> um, the next wind is the Wind of Beasts. And that's basically the element. That's basically like um, Druids. This is where the, uh, the concept of people who can speak to animals comes from. This is where polymorphs come from. Okay. So it's like your, your typical wood elf type of 
individual um, wood elves actually use the light use the wind of life which is separate from the wind of beast Be- like oh, beast is literally like you can like um like for example if i was a a guy who used the the wind of beasts i could like gain like bestial features like i basically can turn into a werewolf this is where like beastmen come from or like partial beastmen okay. come from okay yeah the wind of life is like plant life and like poison ivy bullshit like I can summon trees. I can enhance the forest to fight for me. I can grow plants under my uh, feet and shit like that. Okay, so ba- so basically, poison ivy light. <laughs> yep, yep. You are basically poison ivy light. <laughs> but speaking of light, the next wind is the wind of light. Okay, that is just pure light. This is the equivalent of like blinding light, solar flares, those insane like. Like it, a it's giant ass just, flashlight. <laughs> yeah, it's a giant ass flashlight. It's it's all like light related um things. Like it's like seeing in the dark. Okay, so with this, uh, I I can just imagine with this wind of light, they're you know they're going through their little elf magic school or whatnot. It's just like, teacher, Bobby's flashing me again. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, what do we tell? What do we say about flashing elves? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh. elves do love their flashes. Actually, if it's any consolation, Age of Sigmar, the elves actually gain access. Like all the elves use like magic. All of them. Um. Well, specifically one sub faction of elves use light magic, but yeah. Um, okay. light magic is also like shields. Like, um, if you want to put up like a, a shield, this is what you would use. It's basically to keep demons away. It's exorcisms. It's heat. It, this is like the more standard version of healing. Where, like, if pyromancers heal through, like, tartarizing these ones, actually, like, mm-hmm. heal your wounds properly. Ah. The power of Sigmar compels you. <laughs> it's not that compelling. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. Wrong god. Azuriani, protect you. Phoenix King on high, burn this child. Speaking of burning children, the wind of death. Well, damn, that got dark real quick. <laughs> the wind of death is necromancy. Ah, yes. And it, but it isn't just like raising dead corpses. Like it isn't just like, oh, I'm gonna summon the dead to fight for me. This is like your more traditional like seances. Like I am going to talk to your father. Your father oh, so says you're a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the old school kind of necromancy. You're just you're just talking to dead spirits instead of summoning zombies and skeletons and yeah it can fall into summoning dead corpses but it isn't only like summoning dead bodies it is there is like a level of like i am talking to dead people okay (laughs) yeah i am speaking to the spirit of your father he says you're an asshole why don't why won't he say that to my face well here why don't you tell him (laughs) (laughs) the next one though is a wind of shadows and this differs from the wind of death in that the wind of shadows is related to illusions and misdirection. Ooh, I kind of like that one. Yeah. So it isn't like, oh, I'm dark and dreary. It's I can create illusions with the shadows. I can like, um, I can pickpocket you. I can cast like illusions to make myself invisible. This is more of your cool. Yes, yes, yes. And um, this is and again, there's spells for every individual school of magic, but there are actually races like the lizard man, particularly the slan and the High Elves, who can actually mix and match um, Winds of Magic together. So you might have an Elf who pulls from the Wind of Fire, and also pulls from the Wind of Light. 
and binds mm-hmm. these together to create like a sun, like a you know a blinding red sun. Or they might combine the power of the wind of shadows and the wind of beasts to create like a flock of crows that distract you with their cawing and their spiritual like mm-hmm. you know humming. Yeah. So can with these winds of magic is it just restricted to the elves or i think you just said the the uh lizard men are able to utilize this too is this is it for more so for anybody that's able to learn or um anyone can learn to use the winds of magic but only the slan and the high elves can mix and match them together to combine them uh and the high elves are the ones that are sitting in Ulthwain, correct yeah yes okay yes and the only reason they learned is because they were the first race the, the old ones created, so they were learned. So they learned directly from them. Uh, okay, before everything yes. kind of got all screwy with the yeah, <laughs> with yes, the exactly. great catastrophe. Yes, humans have attempted to learn this, and when you mix and match winds together, it's called high magic, because that's like the truest form of magic is when all these winds is when any two or more of these winds combine together. That's the truest form of magic. Humans mm-hmm. have tried, but they've either like failed, like they can't do it, or they use um, the wind of darkness, which is basically the ant, which is basically um, high magic, but twisted on itself. Ah, yes, and it's ba- it's cons- it's very similar to like the light side and the dark side in Star Wars, where it's very simple, it's very direct. Like where mm. like a high magic wizard might do like an elaborate spell to to gather the winds of magic together to like you know create the hurricane, mm. um, a, a wind of darkness might just fucking try to like consume it into themselves directly because they can't conceive of anything externally. They just kind of just it's more focused. It's in more internal. It's more selfish. More twisted that they'll just be like, oh, I'll just eat it myself or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Huh. It's very much a perversion. Something, something, something dark side. And each of these A-wins have basically permeated the world. And it's with the result of this, like it's with the creation of the winds of magic and mm-hmm. like the vortex of magic that the demons kind of stop. And it's the reason why humans can eventually learn magic, why all the races can eventually learn magic except for the dwarves. Mm-hmm. And because of the demons going away, the slant and the lizard men are actually able to regrow the population and they can actually reconquer these cities and can actually reestablish the this like network that can actually kind of coexist with the uh with the winds of magic. Okay. Yeah, the problem is though is that again, like maybe 60% of their network has been destroyed, but the 40% that's left is still functional. Okay. Yes. Cool. I should also I should also mention one more thing about the map. You notice how there um the pole the poles are the portals. Yes. So um what happens is that um these portals can actually like grow in power. They can basically surge, and this usually what happens when a demonic invasion happens. Mm-hmm. When this happens, the northern and southern ice caps actually expand in size and move closer to the equator. Oh. Yes. So every single invasion. Um, the planet is getting colder and the demons are moving closer inland. It's like moving closer to the equator. Oh, so that's kind of why it says here, uh, the southern waste. Here be demons. Yep. Oh. Yep, chaos wastes here. In the, yep, okay. Chaos wasteland. <laughs> yes. So everything's being pushed for, for an ice age. Suspiciously similar to the uh, White Walkers from Game of Thrones. 
Hmm. Yes. Awkwardly similar. Interesting. Just a little bit awkward. Indeed. Indubitably. But, um, yes, yeah, so it's a very interesting concept of the demons that are, like, they're freezing the world as they move closer. But that's that's all you really need to know about why the world is the way it is. You have the winds of magic, you have the great catastrophe, you have the slam that have basically gone extinct except for, like, the second generation. Those are men trying to recolonize. The elves saved the world, but they, like, almost fucking died. <laughs> the dwarves went underground and created the underway. And humans either had to take up arms against chaos or join chaos and became demons themselves. And you have the winds so, of magic that are spreading across the world. And that folks can folks can use magic. And then there's warp stone or whatnot that leads to the Skaven later. And so it all it's all interconnected. Indeed, it's like everything indeed. was purpose built. Exactly. Do you have any questions? Anything you want to ask for further clarification? Um, I, I don't know. I think you're pretty, pretty thorough and kind of given just a little bit of nugget of information for each major landmass, each major, you know, each of the major factions are kind of broken up. And so it's kind of a good, this is how we got here situation. Indeed. 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 <laughs> I am happy. I am happy you were enjoying it. I'm also happy with your reaction. And if you have any questions about any place on the planet, just basically take our real world equivalent in like the fantasy era and the medieval period and kind of just exaggerate it a little bit or give it like a fantasy twist and you got the journal idea. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the, the old world, the Europe looking one. There's, you know, you got Albion, which if it, for folks that know, for folks that know fable was basically like England, Ireland, the British Isles, basically Britonia, uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's like very much you can tell that's France, the empire, uh, which I'm assuming is the empire of man. Indeed. Ooh. It doesn't read. You have uh, Telia, which is Italia. Ah, okay. Tell, yeah. It's not shaped like a boot, but I'll, forg- I'll forgive GW on that part. <laughs> yeah. Got Norska, the sea, the sea of Chaos. Yeah, everything <laughs> seems. Steps. Yep. Oh yeah! Don't forget Nippon, where the where the clan Inshin come from. Ah, uh, the teenage mutant ninja Skaven. Can't forget those guys. <laughs> but yes, you got an idea. You got a you got a feeling. I got a feeling that tonight's gonna be a good night. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good episode. Good episode. Good episode. I think this is a good stopping point right here. I hope everyone enjoyed. But our uh, go over of what is Warhammer Fantasy and how the world got to be the way it is. Absolutely, and then I kind of knew uh, I kind of knew at the beginning of this episode what we were going to cover, but I believe from here on out, uh, whatever topic we cover next is going to be a surprise. So this is going to be interesting. Yes, I mean, if you want to give suggestions, I might put it somewhere up on the list. I have the next episode planned out. But if you or anyone want to give suggestions on on the world map, like, oh, could we cover Oathwan, maybe? Oh, elves are so cool. Uh, Then I might put up somewhere on the list a little bit higher than where it is now. Keep riding that elven high horse. See how far that gets you. (laughs) I mean, if you cover the elves again, it won't be it won't it won't be a high horse. (laughs) I'm trying to keep it PG here. No, their elf kind of their elf horse kind of crashes and burns. 
Well, speaking of crashing and burn, I think that I think that Tavern Hill is kind of hitting me a little bit hard. So we're gonna go ahead and head on out. So can't wait for the next one, and I can't wait for the surprise of whatever it may or may not be. I can't wait to tell you. All right then. <laughs> well, take care, dear listeners, and we will see you next time. See you around.